Thanks, Rachel. Do keep 1 Thessalonians open in front of you. Do uh, stick your hand in the air if you want either a, a fusion sheet or a Bible this morning. Um, and let me pray as we have a look at this next bit of God's Word together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you speak to us and work in us uh, through your Word and by your Spirit. Father, thank you that you show us more and more the beauty of your love for us in the Lord Jesus. And you teach us what it means to love each other like him. Father, please help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brilliant. Well, uh, this morning as we start, I want you to imagine that uh, a friend or a colleague or or a family member has recently become a Christian. Uh, Maybe you've been uh, reading the gospel with them. Maybe uh, they've come along to a Christianity Explored course or uh, been coming to church for a few weeks and months. And then wonderfully, one evening, they phone you up to tell you that they have become a Christian. They believe the gospel. They've accepted the good news that out of his amazing love and grace, Jesus has died for their sins and made it possible for them to live in a relationship with him forever. They've believed it. It's it's brilliant. They're excited. You're excited. And then they say, now what? What what do I do now? What happens next? I understand what a Christian is. I'm convinced I am one. But what does a Christian do? What do I need to know if I'm going to live as a follower of Jesus? How am I going to grow as one of these Christians? I wonder, what would you say to them? Where would you begin? Or to put it a different way, if you were going to run a course on the basics of Christian living, where would you start? What would you include? It's a question worth thinking about because it's a a question that Paul is answering in his letter to the Thessalonian church. Remember, if you've been with us, that Paul has spent the first half of the letter reassuring the Thessalonians that they are real Christians. They've believed the gospel and so they belong to God. But then as we began to see last week, in the second half of the letter, the question becomes, now what? What do these young Christians need to know next? What are the ABCs when it comes to living as a Christian? And last week we saw, didn't we, that living as a Christian, being a Christian, means no longer living to please yourself, but living to please God. It means no longer being driven by your own desires, what you want for you, but instead being driven by God's desires, what he wants for you. In other words, part one of Paul's Christian basics course was please God by living holy lives. Christians please God by living holy lives. And part two of the course comes in the bit that we've just had read this morning. And the big thing that Paul is going to say today is pleasing God means loving other people. Pleasing God means loving other people and particularly loving other Christians. You see, if we stopped at part one, we might be tempted to think that that the Christian life is some sort of solo project. Just get saved, get your head down and get on with being holy. But Paul says no. No, no, that's not the case at all. When you become a Christian, you're brought into a whole new set of relationships. You're saved into a family. 
And the way you relate to that family is primarily by loving them. And so for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to see what loving your Christian family looks like. Specifically what it looked like for the Thessalonians, and then think about what it might look like for us today. And the first thing that Paul says is that this kind of love, the the love that pleases God, is a love that grows. So look at verse 9 with me. Verse 9, he says, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. In most cases, growing up involves being taught how to do things, doesn't it? Uh, Whether it's how to eat your dinner so more goes in your mouth than on the floor, whether it's learning to ride your bike or share with your siblings, there are all sorts of things that we need to be taught if we're going to get better at them. And here Paul says the same is true for loving each other, for loving people. Uh, Loving each other in the way that Paul is going to talk about is not something that we can do naturally. No, Paul says we need to be taught how to love. And he says that's exactly what's happened for the Thessalonians. Verse 9 says they've been taught by God to love each other. How is it that that God teaches us? How does that work? Well, it's a bit like what we've already seen this morning. Paul has shown us some big ways that God teaches us and grows us as Christians. Firstly, he teaches us through his word. Remember back in chapter 2, verse 13, just glance back there if you want to, Paul says, we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Paul says, you received my words as God's words. And so through my preaching to you, God was working in you. And then we saw last week at the start of chapter 4, it's that as we're taught God's word, we learn more of what it means to please him. In other words, the main way God teaches us is through his word. But more than that, he teaches us by the power of his spirit. So back in chapter 1, verse 4, with words, but with power with the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of our passage last week, in chapter 4, verse 8, God not only gives us his word through the teaching of men like Paul, but he also gives us his spirit. His spirit who works powerfully in us, convicting us of sin and leading us to Christ and transforming and in the power of his spirit. It's what he did way back then for the Thessalonians, and it's what he does for us today. It's why Paul thanks God for the Thessalonians' love at the the start of chapter 1. It's why he asks God that, that he would increase their love more and more so that it would overflow at the end of chapter 3. Paul prays because he knows that God works through his word and by his spirit. He teaches his people how to love. It's a love that needs to be taught. And it seems that the Thessalonians are learning that lesson well. Look at verse 9 again. He says, For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. 
just as he did back in chapter 1, Paul looks at the Thessalonians and he says, look, I know that God is working in you. I know he's teaching you because I can see it. And so can everyone else. You're not even just loving each other. You're, you're loving all the Christians, all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Paul doesn't say much here about exactly what that love looks like, what they're doing that is so obviously loving. But we can find out from elsewhere in the New Testament. There are examples all over the place. One is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul talks about how God's grace has been work in the, Macedo- at work in the Macedonian churches, one of which was this church in Thessalonica. And he says because God's word was at work in them, because God's grace was working in them, those churches gave their money joyfully and generously, even in the midst of severe trial. Despite their desperate poverty, Paul says they pleaded with him to give to other Christians. That's not normal, says Paul. That kind of love doesn't just happen, it doesn't come naturally. No, it's the result of a supernatural, God-taught kind of love. And for us, knowing, knowing that this kind of love is, needs to be taught by God, it comes from God, is good news for us this morning. The fact that we need God to teach us how to love means that loving like this is something that we can all learn, something we can all grow in. Whoever we are, whatever our personality type, whether we're introvert or extrovert or whatever else, loving each other is something we can grow in. Because it is... In verse 10, where he says, And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. These guys are great at loving each other. And Paul says, keep doing it. Grow in love. In the ABCs of the Christian life, we don't complete the love module and then move on to something more spiritual or more advanced. Paul says learning to love is a lifelong lesson. We keep going. We keep growing in love. And so Paul says don't get complacent when it comes to love. Keep growing in it. Do it more and more. How do we do that? How do we keep growing in love, well, we've seen two things already. God teaches us through his word and by his spirit. But also, I heard one person describe growing in this kind of thing is a little bit like weight training. Someone else described it. You can see it didn't come from me. But growing in love is a bit like weight training. And if you're into weight training, and even if you're not, you know that the general idea is the more you do, the more you grow. The more weights you lift, the more you make your muscles work, the bigger and stronger they get. And the same is true when it comes to the that God grows us in love is by giving us training opportunities. Opportunities to practice, to to build up and, and get stronger at loving each other. And just like in the gym... Often those opportunities, those training sessions, will be hard work. Sometimes we don't really feel like loving other people. But it's in that hard work, in those moments, that God is growing us. It is as we 
make the effort to talk to the person at church that we don't really It's when we talk to the person that we find a bit difficult or awkward that we learn more of what it means to build each other up in love. It is as we drag ourselves out to youth work or or the set-up team early in the morning after a really long and tiring week at work that God shows us and teaches us more of what it means to love each other by serving each other. It's as we choose to gently and patiently respond to that email rather than flying off the handle that we learn what it means to bear with each other in love. You see, God teaches us, he grows us by giving us opportunities to train, to learn, to love each other in the same way that he has loved us. And so a good question to perhaps think about over this week is what are the opportunities that God is giving me right now to grow in love for others? Where is God teaching me to love more and more? Because, Paul says, the kind of love that is pleasing to God is a love that grows. But then secondly, we see it's also a love that gives. Having encouraged the Thessalonians that they are doing a good job at loving each other, having urged them to do it more and more, Paul then seems to focus on a specific way that they can grow in that love. Look at verse 11. He says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. The Thessalonians are doing a good job at loving each other, except it seems in this particular area of work. Now, it's quite hard to know what exactly the problem is here, but we do get some clues if we look at what Paul instructs them to do in verse 11. And as we look at those instructions and then think about what the opposite might look like, it paints a picture for us. So look at verse 11 again. Paul says they should lead a quiet life. And so maybe in the church there were some people who were doing the very opposite. People who are being loud, disruptive, causing problems in the church and the community. Paul says they should mind their own business. And so maybe these same people are regularly sticking their noses in other people's affairs. They're busybodies, gossips. And then he says they should work with their hands. And so again, maybe these people are being lazy, idle. They could go to work, they just don't want to. That seems to be the problem in the church. And it's a problem that's made even clearer for us in Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians, you don't need to turn there, but in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says this, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. He goes on later to say, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy, they're busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. Do you see the problem? Paul says there's a group of people in the church who out of pure laziness have decided they just don't want to go to work. And as a result, how have they used their time? To be disruptive busybodies, 
in God's family. Back in chapter 4, verse 12, Paul says they've become a burden, a drain on their Christian brothers and sisters. They take and take with no intention of giving anything back. Church has become about what they can get and nothing to do with what they can give. They're a burden on their church family, and as a result, they are damaging the church's witness to the watching world. And so Paul says behaving like this is a problem. It's not loving, and so it needs to stop. Or to put it another way, he says Christian love, love that pleases God, isn't lazy, it's a love that labors. We saw that back in chapter 1, didn't we? The Thessalonians are laboring in love. It's a love that wants to help and not to hinder. A love that wants to be a blessing, not a burden. A love that wants to give more than it wants to get. And so for the Thessalonians, loving in this way meant getting off the sofa and getting a job. That is how they could love each other. It meant working with their hands because that way they could feed themselves and so not be a burden to their Christian brothers and sisters. That's what it meant for them. But what about us? What does all that mean for us? Well, whilst there might be some similarities in our situation, generally that isn't our experience at the moment. But there are some principles that we can learn from what's going on here. And the main principle, the main thing, is to do with the reason why these people seem to be behaving this way in the first place. You see, Paul doesn't say outright what their motivation, what their reason for this kind of behaviour is. But again, we do get some clues in the letter and in the second letter. Remember, we've kept saying, haven't we, that one of the major themes in this letter has been the return of Christ. It's in every single chapter and gets even bigger in the second letter. It's where Paul is heading next in chapter 4. And it seems that there's some sort of misunderstanding or even false teaching about Christ's return that is leading to confusion in how to live as a Christian until that day. It's not hard, and it's not hard to see how that might have looked, is it? Just try and imagine the situation. Maybe, maybe there were some people who had decided that if Jesus was about to come back, or if he had already come back, well, what was the point in going to work? Others might have thought that their, their job down at the, the garden centre or at the, in the office might have had little value or importance compared to getting ready for Jesus. Why go to work when a super long quiet time would surely be much more appropriate? Still others would have thought that manual labour just wasn't spiritual enough for those that took their faith seriously. That's how the Greeks of the day thought, and, and so maybe that kind of thinking had crept into the church. Whatever it looked like, it seemed that confusion over Christ's return had led to laziness in practical love for others. And the same thing can happen today. You might have heard the phrase, too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good. Maybe you know someone like that. Someone so preoccupied with spiritual things that they've got no time for the practicalities of daily life. And even as I say that, we've got to be careful, don't we? Because Paul isn't telling us not to be heavenly-minded. Right from the start, he said that we should live every single day 
in the light of Christ's return. That final day should shape everything we do today. Paul says we're meant to focus on the future, but we should live in the present. And so until that day, until Jesus does return, you still need to eat. You still need to go to work, to earn money, to have a job. You still need to be able to love and care for your Christian brothers and sisters in practical ways. And that means we need to be really careful not to, not to create some sort of spiritual, practical divide when it comes to living as a Christian. We need to watch out for laziness that is dressed up as godliness when it comes to the practicalities of Christian love. I say that again. We need to watch out for laziness that is dressed up as godliness when it comes to the practicalities of Christian love. That's one danger. Confusion over Christ's return. The other is simply just taking advantage of the love and generosity of others. Viewing the church as a place to get rather than a place to give. That seems to be these lazy Thessalonians' attitudes. And again, we can fall into the same trap today, can't we? Living in a consumer culture has caused lots of people to take that same approach when it comes to church. To view it like some sort of service provider. You go to the supermarket to top up your fridge, you go to the petrol station to top up your car, and you come to church to top up your spiritual tank for the week. The church becomes all about what I need this week, what I can get, and much, much less about what others need and what I can give. And of course, we need to say, don't we, that there are times and seasons in life when we need to receive far more than we are able to give. That is obviously true. For a variety of reasons, we might need to receive the love and support of our church family in a way that we are unable to provide it. But we do also need to ask ourselves from time to time whether we have slipped into a me-centered view of church. And I have to say, right now seems like a really good time to ask that question. Because I think there is a real danger that the me-centered view of church has been reinforced over the last year. Since moving online, church has become more convenient and more consumer-focused than it ever has done before. You can get your weekly top-up without even leaving your sofa. And whilst that has been completely necessary and a wonderful provision in the year that we've just had, it also has the potential to be dangerous in helping us to forget what church is really all about. And so a challenging question for me this week has been to ask myself whether lockdown has helped me to grow in love or in laziness. It's a challenging question because in a time when everybody is saying, you need to just focus on you, you need to do what you need to do to get through. Paul says Christian love, love that is pleasing to God, focuses not on what you can get, but on what you can give. It's a love that labors for the good of others. A love that works to be a blessing and not a burden, a help and not a hindrance. And so as we saw right at the start, that is a kind of love that doesn't come naturally to us. It doesn't come naturally to me. 
It needs to be taught. It is we open up the Bible and, and learn and see, learn about and see the God who has loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, for selfish, me-centered sinners like you and me. It is as we see that love that we understand what loving each other really is all about. It is the Spirit teaches us more about Christ's love for us that we grow to learn to love each other's in the same way. And so again, just like Paul, we need to pray. We need to pray that God would increase this kind of love in each of us, just as he does at the end of chapter 3, that this love would overflow in us as a church family, that we would grow in a love that labours for others, for their good and for God's glory. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have first loved us. Father, thank you that you demonstrated your love for us in sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us while we were still unlovely, while we were still sinners. Father, as we think about what it means to please you by loving others, please help us first to come to Christ, to know that we are loved by him out of his goodness and grace but father as we see him would your your spirit change us would he teach us more and more what it means to love like christ to labor in love for the good of others father please help us to be a family that is marked by christ-like love we pray for each other's good and so that others who look in might say i want to be part of that i want to know that god who is so loving. Father, help us in this, we pray, for your glory. Amen. We're going to have a song to close now, a song all about God's great love for us. So when the band are ready and start, please stand for Here is Love.